Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Deeper Than Data, a Data's six-episode summer podcast series. I'm Daniel Abawaji. And I'm Emily Jackson. And we're your hosts. We've spent a lot of time in the past four episodes of this series talking about the importance of collaboration and coordination for international development. The Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, we discussed in Episode 3 are based on the idea of interactive and equal conversation between host governments and development partners. This idea is vital in order to build a development agenda that everybody wants to pursue. It isn't just about development partners setting goals and sending money anymore. If we really want to improve development, we cannot only rely on increasing development dollars. Donors don't just transact in money, they also transact in ideas. External assessments of government performance are one of the ways that donor countries, institutions, and organizations contribute to development. These parties have the potential to communicate their policy ideas and advice in order to influence policy reform in low- and middle-income countries. If we want to understand the organizational impact of an aid agency, we have to go beyond just measuring the impact of the dollars. This week, we're focusing on what aid data is doing to understand how external assessments influence policymaking and reform for host governments of low- and middle-income countries. We'll hear from Brad Parks, Aid Data's co-executive director and one of the minds behind the first reform efforts survey in 2014. And Rebecca Lacherell, the current survey practice program manager within Aid Data's policy team. We're taking a closer look at why governments accept or ignore assessments from development partners. Are external assessments successful in affecting policy reform in low- and middle-income countries? What makes an assessment more influential and impactful? And how can we make sure that the dialogue between low- and middle-income countries and development partners keeps country ownership in mind? Stay with us. In March of 2002, President George W. Bush announced plans to create a new kind of foreign aid mechanism that operated on accountability for both rich and poor nations alike. Two years later, Congress created the Millennium Challenge Account, or MCA, an aid organization that selects assistance recipients based on commitments to good governments and the Millennium Challenge Corporation, or MCC, to administer it. A series of 17 quantitative indicators determine country performance and aid eligibility. Researchers, policymakers, and practitioners at the time predicted that this would establish, quote, both a reward and an incentive for governments to govern fairly. This predicted universal response to the MCA eligibility requirements is called the MCC effect. But it isn't clear if the effect played out exactly as expected. So I worked for uh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation, which is a U.S. foreign aid agency from 2005 to 2010. And while I was there, uh, my, my job was to interface with uh, countries that were competing for uh, performance-based aid funding from this organization. That's Brad Parks, co-executive director of Aid Data and one of the minds behind the first reform efforts survey. And during that five-year period, I just saw this kind of uh, spectacular variation across uh, different types of countries in how they responded to this incentive, this performance-based program, and how they responded to sort of external evaluation or external measurement of their performance. And so that kind of spectacular variation across these countries 
uh, nagged at me. And so uh, I left the US government in 2010 in pursuit of that question to be able to explain that variation across uh, countries. In 2012, Brad Parks, Zachary Rice, and a team of researchers at the College of William & Mary sent out a survey to understand whether and how policymakers responded to the Millennium Challenge account. We learned through that survey that uh, policymakers and practitioners in developing countries are far less allergic to the idea of uh, performance-based aid mechanisms and modalities uh, than development scholars. That isn't all they discovered, though. The MCA survey demonstrated that it is possible to conduct large-scale survey-based research about political reform efforts. The second uh, kind of main contribution of the MCA stakeholder survey uh, was just the, the very idea that you could kind of at scale survey in-country uh, policymakers and practitioners about the influence of external ideas and incentives on their own domestic reform efforts. Before that, I think the conventional wisdom was that it was just going to be remarkably difficult from a time, cost, and complexity perspective uh, to really effectively solicit truthful answers from decision-making elites in the developing world. At this point, we knew that policymakers and practitioners in low- and middle-income countries were generally receptive to external assessments, and we knew we had a mechanism to collect data from the perspectives of all those stakeholders. In 2014, the research team fielded a second survey asking policymakers and practitioners from 126 low- and middle-income countries to share their reform experiences. The respondents gave insights on over 100 external assessments of government performance, from the World Bank's Doing Business Report to the Mo Ibrahim Index of African Governance. In January 2015, the survey research was brought in-house and integrated into the day-to-day -day work of Aid Data's policy team. The survey went out to thousands of people within host governments, civil society, private sector, and development partner organizations, as well as independent experts. The survey we fielded in 2014 went to about 45,000 development policymakers and practitioners in 126 low- and middle-income countries. And the people that received the survey came from five different stakeholder groups, host government officials, development partners, leaders of CSOs and NGOs, independent experts, and private sector employees. That's Rebecca Latourelle. I'm Rebecca Latourelle and I'm the Program Manager for A-Data Survey Practice. Our survey team's aim is to create a sustainable feedback loop that enables learning from the observations, experiences, and priorities of decision makers on the ground. She's working with A-Data's policy team to create that sustainable feedback loop and understand what decision makers want and need from external assessments. This work is guided by a simple goal, understanding how the international community can more effectively support deep and durable reform efforts in low- and middle-income countries that can improve long-run development outcomes. Feedback loops like this haven't always existed. You'll remember one of the main criticisms of the Millennium Development Goals we discussed in Episode 3 was that they didn't adequately incorporate the opinions and expectations of decision-makers in low- and middle-income countries. Rebecca gave us a great analogy for why this is so problematic. I was talking recently with Dennis Whittle, a co-founder of Feedback Labs, about the importance of feedback loops, and he shared an analogy that I really liked. Imagine if the team at Starbucks headquarters had to make decisions about what is working and what isn't in the absence of sales data from their stores. In this scenario, they only have reports from their district managers to, re to rely on. If I were one of those district managers, I'd be promoting the successes across my stores. 
It looks a lot better for me and for my bottom line if I focus on the positive. I might be less inclined to tell you that a new sandwich didn't sell, for example. Now imagine you're responsible for determining what programs to implement or how to move the needle on a particularly wicked problem like corruption, but you had to do it in the absence of information from the front lines. You're operating in a vacuum much like the one I described previously. And so Aid Data set out to bridge that information gap and find out what decision makers in low and middle income countries had to say about the influence of external policy advice on the policymaking process and the helpfulness and usefulness of that advice in implementing reforms. I think we want to kind of dislodge the assumption that it's not possible to measure the local resonance, uptake, and influence of external ideas and advice. So that would be goal number one. Aid Data sent the 48-question survey to over 45,000 people. So we received responses from about 15% of the people that ultimately received the survey. That's nearly 6,750 policymakers and practitioners. Considering the scope and scale of the survey, it's an impressive rate. And that means dozens of new observations and findings that have implications for communication and assessments in the developing world. Since January, Aid Data's policy team has been hard at work analyzing the survey responses to be shared via a series of policy reports and blog posts throughout 2015. They released the first of these reports, The Marketplace of Ideas for Policy Change, this April. At the country level, the team identified five key factors that seem to influence a government's likelihood to respond to external assessments. External assessments are more influential in small countries. They're more influential in countries with democratically elected leaders and a free press. They're, they're more influential in countries with effective public sector institutions. Uh, they are more likely to be taken into account when a government is reform-minded. And lastly, aid-dependent countries are more influenced by external assessments. They also asked survey participants about the characteristics of the assessments themselves. They found out that a lot of different factors seem to affect countries' tendency to respond. One factor is the content of the assessment recommendations. In our survey, we asked participants to self-identify with one of 24 different policy domains. Mm -hmm. So these include things like corruption, uh, macroeconomic management, agriculture and land reform, family and gender. What we find is that there's a huge amount of variation in influence across policy domains. So family and gender actually enjoys fairly high levels of support for reform and fairly high degrees of influence, whereas something like corruption is m a much harder problem to solve. The team asked about the timelines of the assessments. Are assessments more effective at the agenda setting stage when goals are being set, or at the reform design stage when real plans need to be implemented? And we find that, in general, assessments are more influential at the agenda setting stage. It's probably easier to get on the agenda than it is to actually influence the design of a particular reform from the perspective of an external actor. The team asked about the longevity and familiarity of assessments. Is a country more likely to listen to an assessment from an organization with a bigger international reputation? Assessments that have been around longer tend to have more influence. So longevity of assessment pays an influence dividend. People's familiarity with an assessment also plays an influence dividend. The team asked about whether anticipation of financial benefit influences decision making. We don't find that there's a global 
link between offer of financial benefit and assessment influence. The team asked about whether countries preferred advice from assessments that source data from domestic sources or third-party observers. External assessments that rely on host government data are more influential than those that don't. Mm -hmm. And so again, this is also kind of countervailing to the conventional wisdom, mm -hmm. which has have typically said that to be influential, you actually need to source data from an external party, not from the host government, for credibility purposes. I think uh, donors and other external actors have an opportunity to amplify their impact by uh, relying more heavily on credible, domestically produced sources of data in their external assessments. Finally, they made an observation about how important it is to communicate with and advise countries on an individual basis. We find that country-specific diagnostics are more influential in general than cross-country benchmarking exercises. This is a finding that has really challenged the global development community where the conventional wisdom, and even some of AIDATA's own anecdotal experience, has been that cross-country benchmarking exercises will encourage a race to the top. The real-world implication of this finding is that it may not be as simple as providing countries with financial rewards and penalties to incentivize progress. The missing piece of the puzzle may be whether countries view the advice provided by development partners as being in line with their interests and priorities. Decision makers are more interested in what they can do to solve actual problems within their own countries. We asked survey participants to identify what factors contributed to external assessment influence. And what we found is that a majority of the time, people believed an assessment was influential because it helped the government identify practical solutions to policy problems. Country ownership has been central to the current discussions around the sustainable development goals and financing for development. The term country ownership really refers to whether or not a particular development program or policy is something that the country itself wants as opposed to something that's being pushed upon them by an external source. Country ownership is important to setting development goals that are locally appropriate and in line with country priorities. And when it comes to achieving those goals, country-specific recommendations on how host governments can tackle the problems they face are more likely to be received and implemented. But that doesn't mean that cross-country assessments are ineffective or of lesser quality. Throughout our interview, Rebecca emphasized the subtleties of the data. One of the important things with this survey data is to really um, take the time to understand the nuance. And so if I was a producer of an assessment and it was a cross-country benchmarking exercise, I'd probably want to dig into the findings about my particular assessment. Mm -hmm. And I'd also want to think about some of the other things that tend to make assessments influential. first survey results have implications that stakeholders from all different fields and backgrounds of development can learn from. But the April report only just scratched the surface of the 2014 data. AIDATA's policy team is currently hard at work to get ready for the release of a second report this fall, with focus on the performance of development partners from the perspective of in-country stakeholders. There's another whole section of the survey where we asked people about their experience working with development partners, how influential those development partners were, how helpful their advice was, how helpful they were in implementation. 
With this new survey practice, AIDATA hopes to improve the ability of development partners to evaluate their influence and impact, but also to encourage greater attentiveness and responsiveness to the experiences and priorities of in-country decision makers and stakeholders. AIDATA's policy team is planning to scale up this work in future years and continue providing new surveys. Independently of uh, the, the 2014 reform effort survey, this um, provides a strong foundation to do follow-up surveys. And so we are uh, beginning to scope out uh, two different types of surveys that we um, envision pursuing in the future. The first is a proposed omnibus survey to be conducted every two years starting in 2016. Building upon the successes of the first reforms effort survey, Aid Data hopes to expand the scope of the survey to look at the uptake and impact of data and evidence, the performance of development partners and the influence of additional types of domestic and external advice on policy reform. So you'll recall those 45,000 development policymakers and practitioners in 126 countries. And we asked them questions that were retrospective, asking them about their experiences. And we hope to do that every two years to create kind of a baseline of evidence for the success or lack thereof in reforms in developing countries. The survey practice also is in the process of designing a series of shorter, more timely snap polls to take the pulse of stakeholders and partner countries on a variety of additional topics. So to say uh, the people within the sampling frame who specialize in aid management or anti-corruption or health policy in a particular country, in a particular region, or globally. So we can ask more tailored questions to a, a, a cohort of, or a subset of this sampling frame that is uniquely positioned to answer questions about that sector, that country, that region, that issue. Aid Data wants its survey to uniquely contribute to promoting more effective dialogue between countries, the UN, and other development partners in setting the agenda for the sustainable development goals and tracking progress. And we think that this is a unique opportunity to monitor progress on the SDGs from the perspective of in-country stakeholders and also learn from the experiences of these people in low- and middle-income countries, in particular with the SDGs. So what's working, what isn't? Are these sustainable development goals actually aligned with their priorities? We asked Rebecca if she thinks the emphasis on country ownership is translating into a meaningful shift in seeing a more prominent role for low and middle income countries in setting the development agenda. I hope so. At the global stage, we're seeing very encouraging trends toward country ownership. If you track the language coming out of the high level forums on aid effectiveness from Rome to Paris and Accra to Busan, you'll notice an evolving emphasis on country ownership. Increasingly, this is also a principle espoused by donors, foundations, and other development actors. If low and middle income countries are indeed going to have a growing voice in shaping the sustainable development agenda, we need better means to hear their feedback and ideas. This is where we hope aid data survey work can play a role in providing a channel for policymakers and policy shapers from these countries to share their experiences, priorities, and ideas. We need to make sure that development goals are feasible and sustainable. We need to help countries give voice to their priority problems and help them find locally appropriate solutions. We need to ensure that development partners are responsive to locally identified needs and opportunities for policy change. Making sure our assessments and policy advice are actually helpful and effective is a critical building block to this. 
Instead of prescribing general benchmarks for all countries to reach, sourcing assessment data from external actors, or making any assumptions about the opinions and preferences of these decision makers, we need better intelligence on the realities of policymaking and reform in low and middle income countries. And only one way to find out is to ask people. If you liked what you heard today on Deeper Than Data, head over to Aid Data's blog, The First Tranche, at aiddata.org slash blog to read the accompanying blog post. You'll find more information on the MCA Stakeholder Survey, the Reform Efforts Survey, and Country Ownership in Assessments. On the next episode of Deeper Than Data, we're talking about nutrition, women's empowerment, and the importance of disaggregating data for impact evaluation. Join us next week on Wednesday, August 5th, for the final episode, episode six. Finally, we'd like to extend a thank you to Rebecca Latourelle, Brad Parks, and all the other minds that contributed to this episode behind the scenes. This is Daniel Abawaji. And Emily Jackson. Thanks for listening.